So the scripture reading is where I would like you to turn this morning, since you already heard it, Matthew chapter 18. So thus far in our Communion Sunday sermon series on forgiveness, I preached on divine forgiveness, the need that we all have for divine forgiveness. What does that look like and how does a sinner obtain it? I also spoke about the false idea of therapeutic forgiveness, two messages and two sermons on the parable of the the prodigal son from Luke 15. And my last message in September was on humility, which is the key to forgiveness. We're following this definition by Chris Bronze. Forgiveness is a commitment by the offended to pardon graciously the repentant from moral liability and to be reconciled to that person, although not all consequences are necessarily eliminated. Our key verses, Ephesians 4.32, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. And then Colossians 3.13. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And that leads to the title of this message, the, The Duty of the Forgiven, to forgive as Christ has forgiven them. So in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus spoke in verse 15, about a brother sinning against another brother and the course of action that they are to take to to gain reconciliation. And that prompted Peter to ask what I call the hard question about forgiveness. It says in Matthew 18, 21, Then came Peter to him and and said, Lord, how, how often shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him till seven times. Now again, as I mentioned, the context is is church discipline. And Peter's question assumes the sinning brother in Matthew 15 through 20 is repentant. If he will hear thee, what do you do? You forgive him. So this prompts Peter to thinking, well, how many times should I forgive him? If this happens, some of the Jewish rabbis limited forgiveness to three offenses three strikes and you're out. That's it, right? So Peter's answer more than doubles that requirement, doubles that requirement and adds one. I'd say that's pretty good, right? I don't know that I'd go that far. So he was being really generous with forgiveness, but Jesus wasn't necessarily impressed with that. So Jesus answers in verse 22, Jesus said unto him, I say not unto you until seven times, that's the limit, until 70 times seven. Now commentators agree that this Hebrew idiom, 70 times seven, is not meant to be taken literally, but instead it refers to a number that is unlimited. You must not, as a Christian, with dealing with another Christian, keep a scorecard of offenses. And then at some point, you write the person off. He's, he's just 
done this too many times. You write them off. And the whole point of this teaching that Jesus is giving here, really the, the main focus is what God has done for us. God has not treated us like that. And a lot of people say, well, until 7 times 70, well, they're obviously not sincere. So how do you test their sincerity? That's not the point of what Jesus is doing here. So don't think that way. What he's saying is God has forgiven you in an unlimited measure. And Jesus' answer then of 70 times 7 is deliberate hyperbole. And it was intended to remind Peter of the unlimited forgiveness that God has granted him and all sinners. Now, when you think about it, it's pretty amazing, the Old Testament. God persevered with Israel. They committed numerous sins. They formed foreign alliances, which indicated a lack of trust in God. They, they were an idolatrous people. They were greedy. They were always seeking after more. But one of the particular sins that they committed, to which God ultimately held them accountable, was their violation of the Sabbath law. Every seven years they had to give the law, the land rest, and they didn't. Do you know that God persevered with them in violation of that law for 490 years, 70 times 7? So he, he demonstrated his forgiveness in that measure to Israel. And that may have been in back of Jesus' mind here. God not only forgives all repentant sinners... He forgave them of all of their sins. Colossians 2.13 And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh has he quickened together with him which means made, made, him alive, made you alive. You've been born again. Having forgiven you. How many? All your trespasses. And then that great passage in Isaiah chapter 53. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord hath laid on him what? The iniquity of us all. The Lord is gracious. Now our iniquity is, is the total sin debt that we accumulated. All of our sins, all of our trespasses. Jesus paid it all. And the good news for you today is if, if you do not know Christ as your Savior, and I never know what's in the heart of any man, what true profession of faith they've made or not made, God stands ready to forgive you right now if you turn to Jesus Christ, if you have not already done so. Psalm 86 and verse 5 says, For thou, Lord, art good. Aren't you glad that God is good and ready to forgive? So begs the question, are we ready to forgive when someone repents? And it says he's plenteous in mercy unto all all them that call upon thee. And Paul echoes that thought in Romans ten thirteen. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if you do that, or if you have done that, then you stand in the presence of those who have received the great blessing of forgiveness. And it is a great blessing, isn't it not? Psalm 32, 1 says, Blessed be he, whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. 
Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. Hold him accountable for his sin. And Paul repeats that in in Romans chapter 4. I think it's verse 7. Forgiven means taken and carried away. Blessed is is he whose transgression has been taken away. Carried away. Carried far off. Whose sin is covered. Covered means out of sight. So God has taken our sins far away. Out of sight. The, The repentant King Hezekiah knew what this meant. And what it felt like. He said in Isaiah 38, 17, Behold, it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness. That, that's sometimes hard for us to, uh, to digest, right? That the hard times we go through are, are for our good. But in love, he says, You have delivered my life from the pit of destruction, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. Out of sight. Out of sight, out of mind. To remember it against us no more. God has forgiven all my sins. Behind his back they all are cast. He'll never call to mind again the sins he vanquished in the past. And then the third thing, he says, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. In Psalm 32 too. Not imputed means not counted against us. Not counted against us. It means that we've been justified by faith in Jesus Christ. So then Jesus, after he responds to Peter, he follows up his answer like he frequently does with with a parable. And this one is the parable of the unmerciful servant. And let's just set the stage here for a moment. Look in verse 23, Matthew 18. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened to a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, look at the ledgers and so forth and so on, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. Now, 10,000 is is the the Greek word myria, and we get the word myriad from it. And that was the, the largest numeral for which a Greek term exists. And it was a debt that could never, ever be repaid. Don't focus on, well, exactly how much it is, right? That's not the point. The point is that it's an impossible amount to repay by whatever standard of measure you employ. A biblical talent, a single talent, was enough money for a man to be considered rich. So this is a huge sum, a massive debt. And that's the point that Jesus is making. We all had a massive debt. So when you're thinking about forgiveness, Peter, and you're asking me questions, how many times should I forgive somebody? What I want you to think about, Peter, is the massive debt that you owed God for your sins. So continue on with the story. The king's judgment. For as much as he had nothing to pay with, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. Justice must be served. Now, think about this too. When we think of debt, we typically think of a commercial debt, right? You, you buy a car, you, 
you know, you, you didn't have the money to pay cash, you take a loan out, you, you have that debt. That's a commercial debt. And that's true in one sense when we think of our sin debt, but it's not just a commercial debt. It's a crime. You, you can owe a debt without committing a crime. But the debt you owe, the sin debt you owe, is a crime. So justice must be served. And that's what you see in this scripture here. The king commanding him to be sold, his wife and children, all that he had in payment to be made. And this meant a a lifetime of servitude for the whole family. Now the king was not thinking in this story of recovering what he owed him. What was owed him. That's irrelevant at this point. The king is enacting justice now. He knew that nothing, the debt could never be repaid. So faced with such a dire situation and no way out, the servant's only hope is the sinner's only hope to beg for mercy, to call upon the Lord, to cry out, save me, Lord Jesus. And that's exactly what he does in verse 26. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. What was he thinking? He wasn't thinking. There's no way he could ever pay this all back. He knew it. So he cast himself literally upon the mercy of the king. Jesus paid it all, did he not? Let me have picture time. See how it says, Jesus what? I like this. Jesus paid a debt he did not owe because we owed a debt we could not pay. And he paid it all. Praise God, he paid it all. So look at the king's compassion then in verse 27. It says, Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and freed him and forgave him the debt. I like what Jesus said in John 8, 36. If the Son therefore shall make you what? Free, you will be what? Free indeed. Isn't, isn't it amazing? Isn't it, isn't it wonderful that you don't have to walk around carrying the guilt of your sin and thinking, how, what, what's going to ever happen with me because of this? He was moved with compassion. This is God. This is the point that Jesus is making. This is Christ himself moved with compassion. And and literally, it it refers to the bowels, the intestines, which figuratively mean the seat of inward affection, kindness, and tender mercy. He was moved with kindness, with tender mercy. You know, we use words in a similar way today. Perhaps you have said, boy, what what so-and-so did made me sick to my stomach. You, You were moved to the bowels. Your inward being. Or you say, I love him or her with all my heart. Not your physical organ, but your inward being. Paul said in Philemon, Yea, brother, let me have have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels. In the Lord. Refresh my inner being. Give me joy inside. 
That's what he was saying. The word is frequently used to Jesus, compassion. Matthew 9.35, Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Are you ever moved with compassion? Mark 1.40, And there came a leper to him, beseeching him, and kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, If you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion, with tender mercy, out of his innermost being, this is what this is saying, put forth his hand and touched him and said unto him, I will be thou clean. Psalm 103 paints a beautiful picture of the compassion of God towards sinners. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. What? Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who, what? Forgiveth all thine iniquities. Who healeth all thy diseases. Who redeemeth thy life from destruction. Who crown thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. What a beautiful psalm. The Lord forgives all our iniquities. The Lord heals our sick soul that was full of a deadly disease. The Lord redeemed our life from destruction. And the Lord crowns or bestows on the repentant his loving kindness and his tender mercies, his compassions that flow out of the depths of his being, his innermost being. So the king's forgiveness then of an enormous debt illustrates God's gracious forgiveness of sinners. But what follows now is in stark contrast to that. You see the hard-heartedness of the forgiven servant. This is almost unthinkable. But Jesus is painting a dramatic picture of what should never be. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat. Now, is that an exaggeration? No, I, I actually read that in some Eastern cultures, if you owe somebody a debt, they, they could put their hand on you and put their hand on your throat and say, pay, pay me what you owe me. Took him by the throat saying, pay me everything that you owe. That's the emphasis here. Now, now think about it. The debt of this servant who had been forgiven the debt that was owed him was far less than what he had owed the king. Now, a hundred pence is literally a hundred denarian. A denarian was a day's wages, average man's wages in that day. So this was no small sum, but it could be paid back, right? hundred days' wages could be paid back. In comparison to 10,000 talents, it was nothing. It was like the proverbial saying, a drop off the duck's back. So this is the comparison that Jesus is drawing here. You're not going to forgive somebody. You're going to keep a scorecard, and you're going to draw the line and say you won't forgive them after this because they're just, I can't trust them with it, so forth and so on. I want you to think about the debt that you owed God, that you owed me. And notice, the fellow servant made the same plea as the servant who owed the king that great debt and was forgiven. 
The language is almost identical. Verse 29. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet, cast himself at his mercy, and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. The same words that the man who owed 10,000 talents said. He asked for patience in paying the debt. And he promised that given enough time, he'll pay it all back. But he was shown no mercy, it says in verse 30. And he would not. He would not release the debt. But he went out and cast him into prison till the entire debt was paid. Which means he'd never get out. So the unforgiving servant's refusal to release the debt illustrates one who has not appreciated his own forgiveness. He had a hard heart towards someone who needed mercy. Less mercy he received. Look in Luke 7. Verse 37. And one of the Pharisees desired that he should eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house, and he sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus was at dinner, really, in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster box of ointment. And we don't know who this woman was. And stood at his feet behind him weeping, began to wash his feet with her tears, and to wipe them with the hairs of their head, and kissed his feet and anointed him with ointment. Now when the Pharisees who had bidden him saw it, he spoke within himself, saying, This man, if he was a prophet, he'd have known what manner of woman this is who is touching him. That's unthinkable. She is a sinner. So you can see where his thinking is. Right? Thank God I'm not a sinner like that, right? And Jesus answered and said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. The one owed him 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him the most? I mean, this is is a no-brainer type of a question, right? So Simon gets it. Simon answered and said, I suppose the one that was forgiven the most. And he says, you, you have rightly judged. You have rightly answered. And then he turned to the woman and he said, Do you see this woman? I entered into your house. You didn't give me water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. You gave me no kiss. But the woman, since the time I came, came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil you did not anoint. But this woman had anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I, I say unto thee, Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loveth much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And and that's the key, really, to understanding the parable that we looked at in Matthew 18. And here, in this parable, Simon the Pharisee did not recognize his own sinfulness just like the man who had the great debt. The woman whom Jesus anointed here, she did. She recognized it. And that's the problem with the unsaved, right? They don't realize 
they do not realize the debt and depth of their sin before a holy God who will hold them accountable. So I just say this to you as we get near to the end here, that a heart of mercy, a heart of compassion is an essential sign of saving grace. So it says in Matthew 18, when the fellow servant saw what was done, that this man would not forgive the debt of his fellow servant. They were very sorry. They came to, told the Lord all that he had done. And the Lord said after he had called him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you desired, you asked me. Should not thou also have had compassion on your fellow servant, even as I had pity on you? And the Lord was wroth, delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due with him, everything. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if you from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. The problem, Gilru said, is with the application of this verse, right? That Jesus is making here. This servant who had been declared forgiven was handed over to the torturers until the whole debt would be paid. Does this mean that God forgives me, but then if I don't forgive you, he's going to take away my salvation and sentence me to hell for my sin? That would be totally out of step with everything that God has revealed to us in Scripture about salvation. So that can't possibly be true. So it's important to remember, he says, that, that in a parable, there's usually one main point being made, and the rest of the parable enables the story to be told. And this is not just good advice for this parable, but for all parables. You cannot make every detail mean everything. Don't look for gold under every rock because that's not the point of parables. So the story is supporting the main point that Jesus was telling here. And the point in this parable is that God has forgiven each of us an overwhelming debt. If a person understands that and has faith in him, then he will manifest that forgiveness to others. If he doesn't, he needs a heart examination, right? You need to examine your own heart. If you who have obtained such great mercy from God, who forgave you all of your sins, are unwilling to forgive another brother or sister in Christ, a much lesser debt or infraction, then something's wrong. Something is really wrong. So I close with this. Number one, never lose sight of the forgiveness God has granted you. You'll become a very sour Christian. You'll become a very ungrateful Christian. Always looking for more. Never lose sight of the forgiveness that God has granted you. And let it motivate you to love others. The key to forgiveness, the key to understanding forgiveness is understanding grace. The grace that God has shown you. That's what Jesus was getting at 
when he, when he addressed Peter in this. Peter, the key to understanding forgiveness is understanding with God what I have done for you. And number two, never withhold forgiveness from someone who is genuinely seeking it from you and repenting of their wrong. God is very displeased with that attitude and that action. The duty of the forgiven is to forgive. Forgive.